Let us begin our sermon with prayer. O Lord, you speak to us in the wonders of your creation and in the words of your precious book. As we unfold those words of scriptures, we ask you to bless the words of our sermon. Give us ears to hear your voice and eyes to see your goodness, that we may joyfully serve you all our days, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a cloak of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display His beauty. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. With a robe of righteousness he covered me, like a bridegroom who wears a beautiful headdress, like a priest and like a bride who adorns herself with her jewelry. For as the earth produces its growth and as a garden causes what has been sown to sprout up, so God the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up in the presence of all the nations." This is the word of our Lord. Imagine, if you will, that you're one of the faithful Israelites who has remained true to the Lord, true to his word. The Babylonians have come. For some reason, you feel like you're being punished as you're going to be hauled away to be in a strange land, a country that's language is not the language that you speak. If you're somebody like Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you may even be facing being made a eunuch. Life's not going to be so good. You're probably sitting in misery. You probably feel awful. You probably feel like God is dead. Where is God? And yet, through the prophet Isaiah, nearly 150 years before the Babylonians would come, and nearly 700 years before the birth of our Savior, God prophesies today these words of our sermon text. And through these words today, we see that the Messiah has been anointed to bring good news. Now, we do not need to wonder who the person is that the Holy Spirit is going to be anointed with in this text, for our Lord himself tells us that. In Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14, when Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth, we're told, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding area. He was teaching in their synagogues and being honored by everyone. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, from Jesus' own mouth, we know that he, before he took on human flesh, had sent the Holy Spirit to inspire the prophet Isaiah to write these very words for us. And so, again, we see the Messiah has been anointed to bring good news. That's where our text begins. The Spirit of the Majestic Lord is upon me. Very carefully, the Hebrew spells out this picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon him from above. That happened at Jesus' baptism. And the name used for the Lord combines the name that shows that God is the master of the universe because he created it. And that name Lord in Hebrew is the one for being, showing that he's absolutely faithful to all of his promises. And he explains, because the Lord has anointed me, and the Hebrew emphasizes me very much. And what is that anointing with? This is how we know Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, the Hebrew word for anointed here is where we get the word Messiah. Anointed to be the Savior. He's anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Foretold nearly 700 years before Jesus' baptism. So that when people saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him as a dove and God the Father speak, there would be no mistaking, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And he says, in order to bring good news to the afflicted. Well, we've already mentioned who the afflicted would be in the time that Isaiah was looking at the Babylonian captivity. But afflicted means so much more. In the time of Jesus, the afflicted were those who knew their sin, those who had pain and disease. And let's not forget right now, we are living in a time of affliction. We are living in a time of a terrible virus. And many people have health issues that have forced them and their families so that their families don't contact it to live a life of near complete isolation. But Jesus has good news. We've been afflicted by the bite of the serpent, the devil, if you will, with having a sinful nature. And we're afflicted by the miseries of this world. But God has great news for you. He spells out more about what affliction looks like in verse 1. We're told, He has sent me in order to bind up the hearts of those whose hearts have been broken. Whether it's somebody like Daniel with a broken heart when he finds out the temple has been destroyed whether it's somebody who's waiting for the coming Savior and their heart is broken because it seems that they were going to die before they would see the Savior in his flesh. Well, men like Simeon who then would rejoice as he held the Savior there in the temple. Whether it's you and I whose hearts have been broken because of the tragedies of the COVID virus. The ultimate breaking of a human heart is a heart that looks at its own sin and says, Oh God, what a miserable sinner I am. How I wish my sin could be removed. Well, verse 1 wraps that up by saying, To proclaim freedom to the captives, a complete opening to those who have been put in restraints. And here we have the picture dungeons in the time that Isaiah prophesied were just holes in which you were often chained to a wall and there was no daylight. Such is the picture of our sin. We are stuck in that sin. Even in times of the COVID virus, you will find Christians who will continue on as if there is no God, as if God is dead. That's the sinful nature re-imprisoning them. But Jesus has set us free. He's given us the new man. He's given us his word. And when we hear the word, how the chains come flying off, your sins are forgiven. You are alive in the Messiah. The Messiah has been anointed to bring good news. 
great news for those enslaved by sin. Verse 2 continues on why Jesus has been sent. So we could say, He sent me in order to proclaim the Lord's year of grace and our God's day of vengeance. In the Old Testament, it was called the year of Jubilee. During the year of Jubilee, if you had found yourself so financially destitute that you had to sell your inheritance, which was your land, it was sold to a near relative. And in the year of Jubilee, that came back to you. If you continued to be destitute that you had to sell yourself into slavery, you were sold basically to a cousin. And in the year of the Lord's favor, you were released. God's day of vengeance and God's day of favor are one and the same. For when the forgiveness of sins comes, those who reject it, well, they find themselves rejecting eternal salvation. God's day of vengeance is the day that Christ took the punishment for our sins on the cross and suffered in our place. God's year of favor is the day that Christ won forgiveness for you and I. But for you and I, it continues that theme that we've been freed from slavery. We can take a look at something as miserable as the COVID virus, and we can say, throw your worst at me. The worst you can do is take my life. God's going to restore it. I will be before his throne. This is God's grace. This is where we're freed from our slavery to sin and death. And so we're told to comfort all mourners. There's many things we mourn about in this life. Death is one of them, isn't it? Let's face it, the biggest concern with COVID virus is some people contract it and it's nothing, but others, it kills them. And none of us want to be responsible for spreading that to someone. We mourn in this life. Everybody knows they're going to die. But what tremendous comfort we have in this life that God is ruling even over our miseries to use them for our eternal well-being, and Christ has conquered death. He's our strong champion. And so suddenly, verse 3 goes to a picture of wonderful joy, of replacing sadness with great comfort. Verse 3 says, To put on those who mourn for Zion a headdress in the place of ashes. See, it used to be in the time Jesus walked the earth and in the time Isaiah prophesied, Jewish people, when they were sad, they would put on terribly uncomfortable clothing to express their mourning, to show physically their internal misery, and they would heap ashes on their head. But instead, a headdress has been put on, like that which was worn by the groom when he went to his wedding, the oil of joy in place of mourning. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, but he anoints you with joy in place of mourning over your sins. You have the joy. Your sins have been forgiven. Instead of mourning in death, what wonderful joy we have in knowing those who trusted in Christ, who die, will have a family reunion, will be reunited, and we ourselves will rejoice forever. A toga or a wrap or mantle of praise in the place of a gloomy spirit. When you know that God is in control, when you know that God is ruling for you, when you know that God is using all things for you, there's no longer any reason to mourn. We can look death in the eyes and we can look the gloomiest thing of this life and say, throw your worst at me. My God is using this for my good. And if he determines that it can't be used for my good, it's not going to come upon me. 
And so we see the Messiah has been anointed to bring good news. We've seen he brings good news for those enslaved by sin. And we've seen that he turns our mourning into joy. There is great news for us. And so verse 3 wraps all that up by saying, Then they will be called prominent tree of righteousness, which is the Lord's planting for his own glorification. This is the biggest reason for our joy. This is what the invisible church, the bride of Christ, looks like. Out there in a desert, no water, nothing but sand and scorching heat. And yet here's this prominent tree with shade and fruit and everything on it. That tree is the righteousness Christ has given to you and I. We were unrighteous in our slavery. We stunk of our rags that we wore in that prison with our hands shackled to the wall. But Jesus has planted the new man in us. He's given us his righteousness. And so we see the Messiah has been anointed to bring good news, great news for those enslaved by sin. And we see he's turned our mourning into joy. He has made us prominent trees of righteousness. Our sermon text in the pericope now skips ahead to verse 10, continuing on that great joy that we have. He says, I rejoice exceedingly in the Lord. O my soul, shout with joy in my God, because he dressed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness, as the bridegroom in a priestly way puts on a headdress, or like the bride puts on her jewels. Now we have that picture. Brides in America today usually put on a white wedding dress. When Christ has come to you, when he's put his Holy Spirit in your heart, he gives you his righteousness. His righteousness is your wedding dress. Women get nervous on their wedding day, but they also look forward to it with wonderful joy. You live wearing Christ's righteousness. Your soul, the thing that gives you life, your very existence shouts for joy in God because God is all-powerful and he has come as your deliverer. The Messiah has been anointed to bring good news, good news that he has put his robe of righteousness on you. And so verse 11 switches to a gardening analogy. Verse 11 says, Because as the earth brings forward its growth, in other words, the soil of the earth makes things sprout, and the garden makes its own things to sprout, so the Master Lord makes righteousness and praise sprout in front of all the nations. Christianity was originally persecuted by the Roman Empire. They called it the religion of the slaves. Christianity outlasted the Roman Empire. It overtook it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Master Lord, that's God, again, emphasizing He's the Master of the universe. He made it, and He's the one who's absolutely faithful. He's sovereign. He makes righteousness and praise sprout in front of all the nations. We look at this COVID virus with hope because people have come up with vaccines. But you know, the real hope that we have is we know that as soon as it has served God's purpose, he's going to put it in remission. Governments that are oppressive right now and, and think they're helping their citizens, yet they, they shut down their citizens' employment and their way of providing food for themselves, they'll crumble and fall one way or the other. And yet, believers right now, we have a wonderful message, a message that comes from the Messiah who was anointed to bring good news. You and I have been dressed as priests, 
Your new man sprouts and shines with the glory of God. See, your new man is connected to the Lord. And so Jesus has great news for you that he's implanted this in you and it's going to shine forth. So we see the Messiah has been anointed to bring good news. Great news for those enslaved by sin. News that that takes our mourning and turns it into joy. News that you and I have been dressed in Christ's righteousness. With his righteousness, we have perfect righteousness. An alien righteousness that's not our own, but a righteousness that means we are now God's own. And that righteousness sprouts forth in front of all the nations. Amen. And now to him who sits upon the throne, the Lamb once slain but raised again, be all the glory he has won, all thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, throughout the centuries you repeated and affirmed your promise to send the offspring of the woman to crush the serpent's head. Through your prophets of old, you continually directed the eyes of your people to the advent of their Savior. We praise you, O Lord, for keeping your promise and sending your Son to destroy the works of the devil. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of our King, use your mighty word to shatter our pride and rouse us from spiritual slumber and apathy. Move us to take to heart the words of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You sent your Son to redeem us from sin. Let this good news be our joy and strength. Use it to cheer the lonely, encourage the fearful, and give hope to the despairing. In these days before Christmas, spare us from the stress of deadlines and the frenzy of commercialism. Fill our lives with the message of your peace and the music of your grace. Direct our eyes not only to the manger, but also to the skies, where we will see your Son coming again, not as a lowly child, but as the Lord of lords. Lift up our hearts in joyful anticipation of that day. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. Let the knowledge that you rule as King empower us to share with others the glory of your rule now and in all eternity. We ask you to rule in your kingdom of power to keep the COVID virus from spreading in our congregation and bless the vaccines that we may return to our normal gathering together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus, in your grace, in your power and in your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.